also I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 67 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we try to make heads or tails of this crazy landscape known as life. I think it's working. Uh, I'm your host, Kristen Lopez. Karen Peterson is still traversing the wilds of Sundance for us, so she is not here. But I am joined once again by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. I apologize if it sounds like there's a hurricane behind me. It is raining incredibly loudly in LA. So go figure. Woo. So you're so you're now one of those people who tweet about the LA rain, huh? Um, in terms of the fact that it does not bother me. Like people are Oh that's good. Okay. That's something. And <laughs> and I'm this is January back in Sacramento. This is January through, you know, March. So for me, I'm just like, why are you all freaking out? It's rain, but apparently it is a big deal for everybody down here, and nobody can drive in it. Yay! Oh, that's, um, great. that's not a problem <laughs> in LA at all. I mean, not I at know. all. Not at all. I say that as somebody who did used to drive back home, and I refuse to drive here because I discovered, and Karen will laugh at me because I argued with her about this, is that there are no protected left turn lights. So like you can't go left when the light is green. You have to wait till traffic on the other side across from you crosses. So you're like in the intersection until it's clear. That's horrifying. Exactly. And sometimes they have lights where you're supposed to yield to oncoming traffic when it's either flashing yellow or when it's green. So I'm like, no, green means go. Green does not mean stop and wait for, what is this upside down world where the lights don't mean what they mean? It is very confusing and I refuse to be a part of it. So maybe that's why no one in LA can go anywhere because the lights don't make any sense. They're all just too busy getting confused. very true. City of Los Angeles, let me reconfigure your lights, please. I swear I will. Just go back to the old rules, and then everything will make sense again. Whole, whole traffic problems gone, every one of them. Exactly. So, Los Angeles residents, if you like driving with the weird lights, let me know what I'm not understanding, because it is lunacy to me. <sighs> Speaking of lunacy, we have we have garbage to discuss. I hate to talk about it, because it's very, very sad and upsetting, but we did want to talk about it, because it pretty much dominated the headlines this week. So if you watch Empire, then you probably know Jesse Smollett, the actor. And apparently, according to numerous organizations, uh, news organizations, he was out walking the streets of Chicago Tuesday morning, leaving a subway, and was attacked by two white guys who poured bleach on him, called him racial slurs, and put a noose around him. 
And thankfully he's okay. They're trying to catch the people that were involved, but I would say what the hell world are we living in? But I know exactly what world we're living in. We're living in a world where this is just the new normal. I can't think of a better way to back that up. I mean, it's, this is constant. This is constant in the news. It's sad. It's, it's horrendous. There's, uh, there needs to be real change. And this, I hate to get political, but this administration shows that that's not going to happen until at least the next election is there. And I'd say it's probably going to be a struggle even through then. Exactly. And oh, go on, Lauren. Uh, No, I was just going to say this, this kind of thing has happened uh, in America since America became America, you know, and it's, and it's still happening. I think that we're all sort of shocked because it's continuing to happen in 2019. And it's like, particularly in the past few years, this kind of thing has maybe not become more prevalent, but we've paid more attention to it. Exactly. I, I agree. Uh, and and this also, and, and just because because this decade is, is like supremely unaware of itself or something, this is happening at the same time that people like Kevin Hart are going on apology tours for talking about how they're going to, you know, you know, he was talking about how he was going to hit his son and tell him to be a man if his son played with dolls and things like this. And then you have this very high profile um, black gay man being attacked on the streets of Chicago by a bunch of white guys. Um, and that's, that's like, if you don't think that these things have something to do with, with each other, they, they do, you're not paying attention. Like, and even Kevin Hart like came out and was, uh, and tweeted about like, you know, what is happening in the world? It's just like, this is, this is literally the sort of culture that you were making jokes about. This is exactly what everyone was pissed off about. You're like, what is happening in the world? You're a part of this. This is, this is part of your responsibility too. Well, and what I find to be really interesting about this whole story is that I was watching, and by interesting, I mean eye-rollingly stupid. I was watching the Today Show, I think it was, which I have, I've told my mother to stop watching because the minute they let that stupid MAGA kid on who was being an intimidating douchebag to the Native American guy at that protest, I was just like, I mean, I should have canceled it before that but that's where i just lost my shit but they kept saying allegedly allegedly he was attacked allegedly this happened and i i was sitting there thinking right because once again whether it's rape or assault like we don't believe victims first and foremost i don't understand what incentive this man would have to assault himself you know, I, I and I haven't heard anybody's theory about where this conspiracy that it didn't happen, you know, what it would mean, what what would be the benefit, what would be the, the reasoning behind it. But there are people who think this is a hoax. And Seriously? I hadn't heard yes, this. Yes, there are. There was there's talk, I guess, because uh, he wouldn't turn over his cell phone records to the police. And there was a wave of people on Twitter who were just like, we'll see, this proves. It proves that he made it up. There was some sort of, maybe this was a drug deal. Maybe this was something. And I was just like, why is the intent to immediately think that this person didn't do, was was assaulted 
for something different? Like, why does it have to be? Well, there's obviously another reason. Because we can't believe in this country that some MAGA hat wearing assholes would attack a, a person of color and try to lynch them. Like, why would we think that that wouldn't be a thing? I just, if it's I, a random jumping, why are they even asking yes. for his phone records? That's well, so clearly they they're doubting the victim there. Well, I, I would like to think that it's because the manager was presumably on the phone with him while the assault happened. I think that's what they said. Okay. All right. That would make more but, sense. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that if this was a, a white guy that they would be asking the same thing. I want to hope that, um, but I don't know. It, it seems like, there's just this immediate doubt to doubt, you know, what is what is going on, to doubt that this is real. And, you know, it just reminds me once again that we don't believe victims because why would we? Well, and, and when someone gets there, when someone gets mugged, right, when someone like some like someone holds you up on the street and they take your wallet, very rarely does anyone go like, oh, but they didn't actually take your wallet. Just like, no, no, they, they took my wallet. I didn't, like, throw my wallet away and then claim that I had been mugged. What like, did there... you do to precipitate that mugging, though? What were you wearing when you were mugged? <laughs> you must have no, been but, drunk. But exactly, as soon as soon as it's a black man, as soon as it's a, a woman, as soon as it's, and as soon as it's an attack that is not motivated in some way by, by money, right? It's just like, oh, it's just violence, which is what rape is, which is what... Um, this kind of an attack is as soon as that happens and it's happening to the wrong kind of victim in their minds, it's like, Oh, but you're actually pretending this isn't real. It's like, but why would I pretend? Why would I make this up? What possible motivation would there be for any of this? And usually it's like, well, I publicity or you don't like white men or something like that. It's, it's very weird. It's a very weird stance to take. And we don't, we don't do that with most other kinds of crimes. We really don't. And that's that's my thing that I love about whether it's talking about rape culture or being a person of color in this country, that there's this doubt. You know, what would why would a white person, what would a white man do that? Why? And I'm just like, oh my God. Once again, black is white, up is down, and the world makes very little sense. But we definitely wish Jesse Smollett a very quick recovery, and hopefully they catch the assholes that do this. I don't know. They'll probably get invited to the White House, though. So, I mean. Don't say that too loud. It'll give them the idea. <laughs> Kim. Kim. A, how dare you think he had an idea? And B, <laughs> already, and I worry about <laughs> Our viewer count is just going to, like, plummet by half after this. Um I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I don't know how the political clientele of our, our listeners, but moving on hmm. to, exactly, I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that everybody is exceedingly liberal. If you aren't, I don't know what to tell you, Why how you've listened 67 episodes and you're just now realizing if, things. If they hate listen to us, we certainly don't get the hate mail, so it's... They're very complacent hate listeners if they are. Okay. Well, now we're going to get hate mail. So thanks for that, Kim. Uh, any- well, I hate you. Damn it. <laughs> uh, moving on to Suicide Squad. For some reason. <laughs> exactly. Um, Wasn't this already known? Where I, I thought this was already reported. Nope. 
I think it was a rumor. I want to say this was a rumor for a while. And then I think I thought people were joking, but then they weren't joking. They were being serious. Um, and it turns out it's going to happen. So, okay. Suicide Squad. We hate it. We've watched it. <laughs> we are working through getting that the audio commentary out. It is happening. So until then, <laughs> we have a sequel to talk about. But, and honestly, I don't know if by the time the sequel comes out, our audio commentary will be out. Um, either way is a, is a thing. But this has been reported by The Hollywood Reporter that James Gunn is in talks to direct a Suicide Squad sequel. So this, okay, so I think what Kim was talking about, James Gunn's already writing the script. That was what we knew. Okay, that, okay, that makes sense. But now I think the news is that he is now going to direct it. So Warner Brothers has this prep for August 2021 to come out, and it's supposedly going to be James Gunn's next movie. I love that they call it The Suicide Squad. Like, that preposition is going to make it all the different. I know that's a common sequel thing, but I just find it really stupid here. And it's not supposed to be a direct sequel. It's, it's a reboot, right? A reboot. Essentially, everything we said about the original Suicide Squad. I, I, no, a relaunch, which relaunch. I don't understand the difference between that and a reboot. But it's the, the Hollywood Band Aid, it fixes everything. You know, all the problems with the original. This is going to be a new direction with a mostly all new cast of characters and actors. So. Pretty much everything we said about the original Suicide Squad, I'm assuming it's going to still stand, but it's just going to be with different actors. And I have no interest in that. I'm, ass I'm assuming that everybody who didn't have contract renewal is just out. So no Will Smith, who's literally the only good part of that movie. And we know Margot Robbie might still be in it. Like, okay. I guess that means no Jared Leto, which is good. But yes, good. I really think a relaunch with all new actors and characters is really going to save this. And they're saying that it's rooted in quote unquote guns vibe as seen in the Guardians movies. So it's just going to be funny. It's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy DC style. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And I think it's just going to still be stupid. But the question I have is obviously. James Gunn was fired from Guardians for stupid tweets that he made, and he's getting another job. Yes, he made stupid comments, but I love the people that are saying, like, oh, poor James Gunn. Brian Singer is allowed to thrive, but poor James Gunn. Like, I don't think you can compare those two because they're two woefully different things, but James Gunn was still an idiot. I feel like we said that when we talked about this. <laughs> He, I'm, I am still angry about the, I, I will go on record. I, and I believe I said this on the podcast. I have been a James Gunn fan. I like his style. I liked his mise-en-scene when, when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. That was one of probably my top of the Marvel films. I enjoyed everything he did with that. I understand the Hollywood line of thinking in terms of bringing him in for this it just makes sense they're trying to craft a likable suicide squad now which in my in my humble opinion it worked with guardians of the galaxy he said stupid things it's i it, he said really unforgivably stupid things and it's i'm having a very hard time i know i'm making kind of 
piece with all of that and how much I've liked his work. Um, we'll see. It's this one's a struggle. This is a hard subject. Yeah, yeah that, I, go on, Lauren. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was just, I'm just like trying to think about how like one of the things that bugged me about the whole James Gunn thing was not so much you know he said stupid things, he made stupid tweets. Uh, did he really deserve to be fired for them? Okay, whatever. Yeah, yes, yes, no. But I understand. I understand the choices that were made. Um, whether or not you know you necessarily agree with them, the degree of like fan outrage I found so bizarre because, of course, sitting there going like, "Look, he's a really popular white dude. He is going to be fine. He is going to get another job. And look, he's getting another job." Not only another job, but a big, high-profile job. And I think about, I do think about all of the female directors who have been slammed into director jail for, you know, very, making films that true. didn't do quite as well as they should have, or even making films that did great, and then their sequels or thing or uh, other other projects got handed off to dudes. And I'm just like, oh yeah, poor fucking James Gunn. Oh my god, he's having such a tough time. It's like, oh look, he's directing Suicide Squad. Who cares? Uh, I don't I, care. I, I feel like he's directing Suicide Squad sounds like a punishment to the person who <laughs> Suicide Squad. I don't know. So True. That, that True. Was, yeah. um, August 2021. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is August 21st, 2021. I just predicted the future. I don't know. But I'm not looking forward to it. I don't think anybody's looking forward to it. Except maybe fanboys. Fanboys? Is that is that about it? That's the target demographic? I, I would say so, yeah. I, I can't say I'm looking forward to it because the negative connotations from Suicide Squad for me are very much still there. <laughs> they are still how, resonating. I love how DC's attempt to craft like an extended universe is just this constant rejiggering of everything. It's like, what is the timeline here anymore? I don't even know how any of these characters are involved with each other, how they're related, or what we're retconning or what. It's it's amazing. Like, I, love I love that. DC's concept is, if it didn't work the first time, just keep redoing it until it works. They keep trying to marvel it without putting the thought and the planning even, that Marvel puts into it. Even when Marvel knows something doesn't work, they'll come back and change it just insanely. You know, like Grimdark, they were like, we're going to go the exact opposite. We're going to be happy for a while. And then when other movies went happy, they were like, we're going to go Grimdark. And now DC's whole thing is they're just like, well, you didn't like our Superman well, screw you. You're going to get eight more movies. Just fucking like it. <laughs> uh, well, well, but even like, I mean, Marvel, Mar uh, when they did what a, the second Thor film, right? Which right. didn't get great critical response. It didn't get, it didn't do as well, right? But they didn't go back and then retcon the second Thor film and make it again. It feels like DC is constantly being like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, we're going to do it another time and see if that works. So like, exactly. oh, that didn't work out yeah, it's it's really, really weird. Yeah, Marvel changes its tone sometimes, but they at least, to give them credit, they at least have, you know, oh, these films do all fit together, okay. They plot out those arcs, I've heard, up to 10, 15 years in advance. So when film doesn't work, they'll change up the director, they'll change up the tone, but they lay out those stories, give or take, so far ahead that they don't have to do that. They can't do that retconning. Mm -hmm. 
they'll just tweak the film to try and make it a little bit better. I will say I will not allow besmirchment of Thor 2 because that plot makes no sense. But who watches that movie for the plot because it is literally the thirstiest Thor movie? He's <laughs> like ultra jacked Hemsworth, okay? And I'm not, I'm talking, Hemsworth's always jacked in his movies, but in that movie specifically, he is ultra built and the camera just loves to emphasize it and it is a delight. I feel like, Ken, As, is that the one that was Kenneth Branagh? Or is that the first one? That's, that's the first one. Okay, so the second one's some other dude that I don't know. But either way, that guy was thirsty for Hemsworth, and he let us all know it. And I think... Well, that, that film, both those films let... I am Kat Denning in that film. They... <laughs> you know, Natalie Portman and Kat Denning spend the entire film just thirsting and lusting after Chris Hemsworth, and you can tell. Yeah. And it is... You know, that is probably the female gaziest Marvel film that we have. It is very female. There is a part in... Thor 2. I recommend everybody watch it for reasons, but there's part in Thor 2. There's one little moment, and I'll let everybody try to figure out what it is, where I'm just like, I love him so goddamn much. I would give him my spleen, okay? Or any vital organ that he needs. <laughs> I will give it to him, willingly. Um, so yeah, that we we thank all the uh, Marvel money that's going to come in for our advocating of Thor the Dark World. Because... <laughs> Lord knows he didn't see it in the theater. Um, so moving, moving right along. So the Time's Up uh, movement, it, it's still going, but I feel like it's kind of slowed down in the last couple of months. But they came back this week and announced something really interesting. It's called the 4% Challenge, which is a commitment to announce a project with a female director on a feature film in the next 18 months. So this was through Time's Up and the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, and Tessa Thompson announced it. And right now, Nina Jacobson, Paul Feig, Amy Schumer, Angela Robinson, and a bunch of other studios, I think Universal is one of the big ones, have taken on the challenge to commit to announcing a project with a female director on a feature film in the next 18 months. And I feel like... I'm just going to be blunt. I think this is kind of letting a lot of people off the hook. So what it's saying is, is that you promise to announce a film with a female director in the next almost two years. It doesn't mean yep. you can make it, though. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a little turned off by the whole just announce that you're going to do it. You don't actually have to do it. And you have over you have 18 months in which to do it. Now, mind you, Universal, they were going on about how Universal was the the first the big studio because they haven't had a female director, I think, in a couple of, of years. And my problem is is that you're giving them to commit to making one film. One film. They could be greenlighting thousands of films. Buffy, we already know, is an honorary dame. Like, I don't need his name on here to be like, yeah, he'll do that. But, and I think Disney jumped on it. It was like, well, 40% of our slate right now is directed by women, which that is impressive, actually, for Disney. So I, I don't know. This one really, I was like, wow, 4%. 4%. Announce that you're going to have a female director in the next 18 months, but you might not actually ever make that film. 
you know, Ava DuVernay and Gina Prince-Bythe would still have films in development that haven't even come, you know, started shooting yet. So I feel like a commitment to, to announcing a movie isn't really a whole lot of commitment. Like, I don't know. Was I being cynical? Yes. <laughs> okay. See, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right with you, Kristen. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I will make a, a small defense of this. I think that, uh, again, I think that we all want things to move forward at a faster rate and they probably should. But I think that this kind of thing, so the, the, the idea is that, you know, such a small percentage of major films that have been released have been directed by women. So is this the sole fix? No, uh, absolutely not. But it is a step in the right direction and it puts pressure and the, the fact that it has so many very famous people attached to it, the fact that it is being sort of advocated by Time's Up, it's putting pressure on the studios uh, to actually begin saying, okay, we're going to greenlight these films by women. We're going to try to bring more female directors into the fold. We're going to give opportunities to more female directors. I know that Paul Feig and a couple of other people also have their own projects that they're working on to try to develop female filmmakers. Um, but I don't think that this should be seen as, okay, this is the only thing that is going to happen. Uh, it's a way forward. It's, it's a way to begin to change the makeup of Hollywood, because as soon as you begin to get big studios committing to these things, then there's a little bit more public pressure because there's the public is looking at it and going like, hey, you announced that uh, that film that you were going to do and then nothing ever really came of it. So what's going on with that? I think that there there will be more advances as a result of this. The, the point is that this this has to be a first step. It can't be the final step. Um, and I would like to think that with the pressure that Time's Up has been bringing that this this will continue to advance. We've been talking about this kind of thing a lot over the past couple of years. And it seems important that the studios are now actually maybe paying some attention to it and actually trying to change the makeup of their, their stable of directors, their stable of writers and the kinds of films that they're releasing. So I, I find it hopeful. Um, I don't think that just being like, well, it should be more like 50%. Yeah, it should be. But, you know, if can we get to 25%? That would be great. Can we get to 15%? 4% is such a small number. You know, even if they get to 10% over the course of the next year or two, that will be an improvement. And that's something that should be embraced. I'm looking at these names and what kind of disappoints me is a lot of these names on this list, barring a few, I would already trust to have that in the back of their mind anyway, to support working with female filmmakers, to really be putting this forward. There's still not a lot of studios on this list because we're seeing Universal, STX, and MGM. And, you know, names like Paul Feig, names like, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Tracy Ellis Ross, these are people who are already supporting that. None of these really rock my mind is oh they're you know here's the big boys trying to help barring probably jj abrams damon lindelof and nina jacobson but it's i would like to see more male names on there there's not a lot of the big time producers at least of the names that i know sitting there these are a lot of writers and these are a lot of filmmakers or a lot of actors and most of them seem like they're already fairly supportive of time's up absolutely but if you have someone like army hammer if you have someone like paul feig or um jj abrams saying like i want to produce a film or i want to appear in a film 
um, that is directed by a female director. And I'm going to bring my star power to that. And I'm, or I'm going to bring my money, my producing power, my clout to that. That's how these things change. Yeah, of course, it's always going to be the first people to latch onto something like this are always going to be the people that are already progressive. That's not to say that then it's not going to translate into something bigger, because what it's essentially going to prove, if they're able to continue to build up steam about this, what it's essentially going to prove is that these films do make money. Female directors are just as good as male directors. And in fact, they have different perspectives and they have uh, different approaches to filmmaking and that that's important. But you have to start somewhere and you and it's going to start with people that are already in support of this kind of thing. So I think that that being like, oh, this doesn't mean anything. It's something that has just been announced is, is sort of defeating yourself before you ever get going. I love it when you're the optimistic one of us, Lauren. I really do. <laughs> I believe in the long arc of history, guys. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm sure you said something eloquent and beautiful, but my mind stopped working when you said Army Hammer. So... I feel I feel like I missed a, a lot of stuff in there, but yeah. Um, no, I, but you know what? Yeah, Ar- Army Hammer is like he's he's wonderful. Like the guy, obviously, for whatever else we think of him, like the guy obviously cares about working with, with female filmmakers. I mean, and he supports that, and that's important. And that's hot. I'm just gonna go full. Pay- that is hot. It's very <laughs> no, hot. Like, I was very Chris Hemsworth being. I would see Chris Hemsworth being like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth, your name needs to be on this list. Make yourself even hotter. Chris Hemsworth, yeah, the like- ladies are not going to like, well, they're going to love you no matter what you do. But I'm just saying, like, be on this list so that, you know, I mean, nobody wants their number one position threatened, okay? But Army Hammer's, like, <laughs> doing the work. Um, so moving on uh, to the next bit of news. The Criterion Channel was announced this week. This is going to be the follow-up to, not necessarily the follow-up, this is filling the void left by Filmstruck. I miss Filmstruck really, really bad. Uh, And they announced the Criterion Channel, so it's going to be their standalone service. This is not something similar to the other Criterion Channel, which was on Hulu back in the day. But right now you can sign up. If you get in, I think, on the ground floor, you have a discount. It's going to be $11.99 a month, but you'll get it for $9.99 a month. And they have a movie of the week that they're going to have between now and launch date, which is April 8th. And you get gift cards and all sorts of stuff if you sign up now. So I, Lauren and I have been arguing about this for the last couple of days on the, the Citizen Dame Slack. Um, I, I applaud people that like the, you know, that that want this. Um, I watched many a Criterion film when it was available on Filmstruck. I watched several of them, but I am very selective about what Criterions I watch. Um, I don't buy everything. You know, there are some people that buy all of them every time they come out. I am very selective. And yes, I guess I'm just going to go full force and say that I tend to be the person that likes Criterion when they're more mainstream. Um, so, so watching, so when I got the email about this, I didn't immediately jump on. I still haven't because much like with Filmstruck, when Filmstruck announced itself as being a home for art house and underground and Criterion, I was just like, it's mm, not enough to get me to spend $9.99 a month. It wasn't until they started integrating the Hollywood stuff 
that I I jumped on. And and right now for this, I'm still like, mm, I don't watch enough art house and foreign and underground stuff to justify this. And I I do think there are a lot of classic film fans that will say the same thing. So for me, this doesn't fill the void. Yes, it does keep the love of classics going and it provides a fantastic foundation. And if you like Criterion, then this is perfect for you. But I, I've been reading a lot of articles about how, oh, this is, this is going to fill the void left by Filmstruck. I don't think it is because for me, it just doesn't fill the void for Filmstruck. Um, Lauren, tell me how I'm wrong. Uh, well, you're just obviously completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew as, it. as per usual I mean uh, this is just normal for you <laughs> um no I, I I do actually totally understand what you're saying and and I understand and I do think that it that this is about how you watch films and what kind of films you watch um I I happen I love Criterion as I, I said before when we talked about uh, the death of Filmstruck that I think a lot of the films that I actually watched on Filmstruck were from the Criterion channel um, which wasn't particularly intentional on my part I had both it was just the films that I was immediately attracted to I I think that it's important not to underrate the classics that the Criterion channel does have they have been releasing a lot of Hitchcock they've been releasing Sam Fuller and uh, Bergman and Murnau and uh, I mean I could oh and Michael Powell like so there there is a wide spectrum of films that Criterion releases it's also not yet been been totally clear what kind of films are going to wind up on the Criterion channel because Criterion does have um, rights and privileges to certain films that they have not yet released on Blu-ray and DVD or that they still, I, and there, I know that there is some question about who has the streaming rights to certain films versus who has the rights to um, actually physically release them. And so that might be an interesting place where we might get some different films or films that they're trying out or films that they're trying to get the rights to. Um, I mean, I'm excited about this because uh because this is exactly the kind of thing that I love. And I think that's just going to be another very good resource for not very much. That's the other side. One of the problems with Criterion has always been that they're incredibly expensive. Uh, and even when they go on sale, you know, when they actually get lowered to the price of a regular Blu-ray or DVD, um, they're, they're still like 30, 40, sometimes $50 a pop. So having the, it available for 10 or $11 a month and having that entire catalog available I think should inspire people to do similar to what they did with Filmstruck and, uh, and, and actually watch films that they might not necessarily have seen films that they want to try out. My tendency with Criterion is that I only buy the films that I desperately, desperately need to have on Blu-ray. Um, so I'll buy the Hitchcocks. I will buy, um, some, some of like their horror releases, things like that. But I very, I'm not going to go out and buy the entire Bergman collection because some of those films I like, some of them I don't like, um, some of them I haven't seen, so I don't know whether I actually want to own it. But to have them available on a streaming channel for a fairly low rate, especially compared with how much they cost, um, that's that's going to be awesome. So I really encourage you to actually support this, because otherwise it's going to die, and then we're just not going to have anything. Kim, what about you? Uh, You're also I'm a classic a... film fan like me, so where do you land on this set? I I can't I come in pretty much right with you Kristen as well. Um I 
I remember knowing about Filmstruck, but what actually had gotten my attention when was when the TCM kind of tie-in came together. I that was when I took out my subscription and started watching it fanatically. Um, they had completely won me over with their programming real quick. I'm not saying I'm not completely 100% supportive of this. Um, I had watched. I, I was a film history masters in school, so I. You know, I have all those, I have a lot of those criterions already, have the filmmakers I like. So it doesn't really elicit the passion for me. You know, this criterion channel doesn't get the passion element for me like the old Hollywood stuff does. Um, I'm still trying to decide whether or not, you know, where I fall in terms of how quick I'm going to run over and subscribe. But I completely agree, Lauren. We do need to support this because it will die and then what will we have i just i really miss the classic hollywood stuff and i wish there was some way we could get that back um because that was what i truly loved and that was that was that was my happy place yeah i definitely will be keeping an eye on this and i'm hoping the criterion pairs up with more studios to offer something because as we know warner's who thought that, you know, this was just a niche market when they do their streaming site already wants to charge classic film fans top dollars. So <laughs> I'm hoping Criterion will get some more studios under them so that we can get some more movies because I do think there's a market for, for all classic film. And I wish instead of limiting us to, I guess, one group, there was all of it. I don't know. Uh, but that opens April 8th. Uh, you can check it out on CriterionChannel.com. Sign up. Give it a look. All of that. Moving on to Lauren's favorite topic. Dune. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dune a good week this week. Um, they announced a bunch of stuff. Um, we're going to go in order of interest. So we're going to go the least interesting to the most interesting. Um, least interesting is that Javier Bardem is going to be in this. Yawn. Yeah, I, I think that's the least interesting. Um, I don't, nobody really cares. We're just going to bypass that entirely. Um, so the most interesting elements are A, who they cast, and B, how, how people are choosing to write about this stuff. Um, so it came out this week that Zendaya and Oscar Isaac are going to be in this movie. Um, and Zendaya, give, give everybody the proper description of her character, Lauren. Okay, so Zendaya is going to be playing um, Shani, who is a, uh, who's, a, she's a Freeman uh, woman. So she's like, she's basically... Um, a uh an indigenous person of the planet that they of the planet arrakis of the planet that they're on um and she's a warrior she is sort of a, an heir to one of the um one of the leaders of the freemen she is a fighter she's a freedom fighter and she also happens to be the woman that paul the lead character falls in love, love interest no that's what everybody said I mean, she, she's a love interest. She is a love interest, but that's not her main function in the narrative, at least not in the book. But, but Lauren, that's what the, the Jeff Snyders of the world said. She's a love interest. She has no you know, definition. She is a love interest. 
This is like this is a woman who just beats the shit. If I remember correctly, she beats the shit out of Paul at one point. So Nobody like my sweet tender biscuit. <laughs> oh, Paul's gonna get his ass kicked a couple of times. He's got to learn. He's got to learn how to be a warrior. Can't okay, can't we do that gently and like brush his hair no. and but love and protect my delicate little snowflake cookie? What is going on? <laughs> Okay, so um, I I believe I saw her being called a love interest too, and what deadline? So a fairly yeah. sizable outlet. Shame on them. Yes. Shame, shame, shame. A lot of men. Yeah. If, if a woman is in your movie, she is definitely going to be something that you're going to fuck at one point. They're- well, I mean, one of the one of the things that I honestly fear about this film is that there there's a lot of language that Herbert uses in the book. Like, so he uses language like concubine. Um. And, and there are particular like classes of people and there, there's a complexity of, of relation, of romantic relationships and of political relationships that go on. And so Chani becomes Paul's concubine, which is not the same thing as saying that she's like his prostitute or like his mistress or anything like that. And not, not in the way that Herbert constructs it, but of course these are dudes and dudes are fucking idiots and dudes are going to read this and be like oh she's like his whore (laughs) (sighs) you lost me still with the fact that they're going to be beating on my sweet little tasty danish okay i'm i'm very upset about this Um, (laughs) but no i like i like zendaya i like what she's been doing with her acting and her the performances that she's picked i think in um the greatest showman she's she's so good so I'm interested to see, and I mean, honestly, she is like the second willowiest actor next to Timothy Chalamet. So they're both going to be like beautiful waifish leads in this movie, um, which will be interesting to see at least. Um, and then they cast Oscar Isaac in this movie <laughs> because why wouldn't they? I say that with ultimate sarcasm because I feel that. Denny Villeneuve and Taylor Sheridan troll me intentionally, and they think, like, we won't get her respect, but we'll get her money. So they're right. They're right. You know what, Villeneuve? Score one for you. I will go and see your movie, but you will never, ever get my love and appreciation, ever. Um, (laughs) So Oscar is playing Timothy Chalamet's dad. Because, of course, he is. Give us background on that. I mean, what back? I, I don't know what background you need. Like he, he's it's his father. Uh, I don't mean. Of... I mean, like I was thinking more like the character is significance. I mean, yes, I could definitely believe that he sired uh, Timothy Chalamet. They're obviously related <laughs> by hair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing he's, else. He's an he is an important character um, for probably get what the film's supposed to be about three hours long, right? Sure. I mean, it's, so, so, it's so he's going to be an important character. What? I was going to say it's, it's Denny Villeneuve. So it's going to be two and a half, but it's going to feel like three and a half. <laughs> Cause I mean, I'm just thinking about the length of the book. So uh, yeah. If, if you figure that this is going to be like a three hour film, I think that Oscar Isaac's probably going to be in it for like 15 minutes. Maybe. So what you're saying is, is this is an Oscar <laughs> performance um, where he just walks through the set for 10 minutes and then leaves. 
Um, awesome. He is just making all the right decisions with me lately, isn't he? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Leto is a great character. Like, he'll, he'll, I think he'll do a great job with it. But yeah, he's hardly going to be in the film. Awesome. Okay, so because there's nothing I like more than going to see a movie where I expect Oscar Isaac to, like, be in it. And he just shows up for 15 minutes. And then that's it. Um, it just seems to be like his entire 2018. So we're going to keep that theme, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm cautiously interested because I would love to live in a world where Oscar Isaac and Timothy Chalamet are related in some way. Um, I find that to be adorable. About the same height. <laughs> um, they are related by hair. And they're both immensely adorable. But, but Villeneuve, like... You'll never get me. You'll never get my respect, ever. <laughs> you could cast fucking Army Hammer in that tomorrow. You should do that, actually, because any help you can give me for this movie would be great. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I, I'm still not that interested in this movie. I don't know. I want to see the original. I will say, Lauren has convinced me to at least watch the original. That and, like, 1980s Sting got me into it um so i mean i'm gonna i want to watch it before I, this movie comes out but oh but the original it's, it's is got 1980s kyle mclaughlin <laughs> that was never a thing for me ever <laughs> I, That's I have right. to say, kyle mclaughlin and dune is a tasty snack i will say that <laughs> like <laughs> I never, ever got that. Maybe, okay, maybe because my Kyle McLaughlin experience is the Flintstones and Showgirls. <laughs> so, like, that's what I'm working with here. Um, yeah, didn't get that, though. So, I don't remember. When does Dune come out? Does it have a release date? Sometime. Someday. Someday. <laughs> it's going to come out on Sunday. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in... A whole world where just Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac talk about how their hair is amazing and then like there's a breeze and it rumples both of their hair and it's just like <sighs> and then like this film is a failure if that doesn't happen yeah, that one it's, shot it's right it's gonna there. be a failure if they don't both have like a movie star like Prince Charming like hair swish okay if I don't get a hair flip in this movie I mean just it's a failure right off the bat um I will be very, very upset. Give me a hair swish, damn it. Space Jazz did not give me Space Jazz. So all I want from Dune is a goddamn hair flip. And I should be able to get that. Then then you can have Oscar Isaac blow his brains out or like fall off a cliff or something. Whatever you're going to do to kill him off. Because that's what he does nowadays. Um, Denny needs to female gaze the shit out of that movie with those two in primary yes. roles. <laughs> You know that he won't. No, I know he won't, Lauren, because he's fucking Denny Villeneuve, okay? Didn't we all watch Sicario, okay? He does not know what a female gaze is. I don't think he knows what a female nope. is. Fun, here's a, here's a suggestion, Denny, because I know you listen to our show because you troll me. Um, just let me hang out on set, and I will tell you where to point the camera, um, and I'll do it for free. You just need to give me snacks and let me, like, brush timothy chalamet's hair that's it and we will yeah i will help you deal with the criticisms of being a horrible director um so moving on to questions this comes from ryan mcdermott at 
Ryan McDermott, speaking of Villeneuve, he says, if it was announced that Denny Villeneuve stepped down from directing Dune, who would you get to replace him? The cast remains the same. Oh, this is tough. Because I don't know anything about the movie or the book. Um, I'm going to say Ava DuVernay. That might be weird, um, but I'm going to say that. But mostly because I'm going off of like fantasy elements and we, you all know that we love A Wrinkle in Time on this podcast, and I think she could do really well with that. So I'm going to I'm gonna say that. Or Patty Jenkins. Like, I think either one of those would be awesome. Um, Lauren, Kim, who would you uh, replace Villeneuve with for this movie? Uh, my first thought, actually, I, I've been parroting you, parroting you this whole podcast, but my first thought was Ava DuVernay as well. Um, maybe trying to, trying to think a bit off the cuff here, maybe a Karen Kusama, just since I'm very unoriginal, I'm very unstudied on Dune as well, but I think dark when I think of that and she's so good at that. That'd be interesting. Lauren, what about you? Uh, yeah, I actually, I think that even DuVernay would be great and it'd be interesting to actually bring in, um, a woman of color to, to deal with this. Cause there's a lot about in the book, there's a lot about race and, um, the indigenous people versus sort of the, uh, the colonists. Um, and so I think that that could be really interesting. The, the other one, and he was actually supposed to make Dune and like he, and there's a wonderful documentary about it, but, um, the director Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, wasn't he the the one that was supposed to do the infamous Dune and didn't happen? Yeah. And it never happened. And he like had a cast and it's a, a, go see the, the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune is fantastic and it actually it was so fantastic that it, it's what made me go buy the book to read um it, it's really fascinating but the dude is still alive uh he st- he has like the entire film planned out and now he would have his whole cast so yeah just like go and get him because i really want to see what he would have done with that like he, he had some fantastic concepts about it and what he was going to do and how he was going to do it and how he was going to construct the film um and and he never got to make it so uh i give give him his due finally i find it funny that i remember dune news i told i told lauren when we were planning the schedule dune news and my mom just pointed out that there was i was complaining about taylor sheridan made announcements about his new movie and i didn't include it on the agenda maybe we'll talk about that next episode because i have thought (laughs) You knew it was only a matter of time. Karen cursed us when she started looking up if Taylor Sheridan had projects that he wanted to make. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll talk about that next episode. But I, yeah, I did conveniently forget that because I wanted some spark of happiness. You, you do have a Taylor Sheridan block in your memory. Him and I are mortal enemies, okay? We are mortal enemies. We have never met, but we are mortal enemies. And I think he knows that. I think he knows that we're enemies, but... Moving on to trailers. We got some trailers that came out. Um, So I'm going to start with Hobbs and Shaw. Didn't somebody have this on their most anticipated or did I hallucinate that? They did. And I thought that was a joke. I didn't know this movie was happening until this morning when I saw, I I thought that was some kind of jokey parody thing. Apparently it's a movie. But didn't one of us have it on our list? No, one of the listeners did. Oh, that's right. I think. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was. Yes. Fast and Furious presents 
Hobbs and Shaw. There's way too many goddamn ampersands in this in this title for starters. I don't like it. As an English major, I'm just like, mm, I don't like either of these. Um, but this tells the story of Dwayne Johnson's uh, Hobbs and Jason Statham Shaw, who form, quote, an unlikely alliance when a cybergenetically enhanced villain threatens the future of humanity. So wait a minute. This is the Rock and Jason Statham find the Terminator? Is that what I'm getting with this movie? <laughs> Idris That's... Elba as the Terminator. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, 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 okay. yes, yes, yes. Okay, I didn't watch this trailer before we recorded, so I actually prefer going in blind um, to this. Um, what is this, and how is this a real movie that got made? This is the greatest film uh that will ever be made obviously no uh, Warren, we already said that with serenity you can't have two oh that's right that's right we're tossing this term around quite a lot ladies that's right yeah no no i know i know i'm sorry i'm wrong i'm wrong uh in this case serenity is the, the pinnacle of cinema so we we just have to this is, this is directed but, by david leach who did deadpool 2 and atomic blonde and is uncredited on john wick in case anybody was curious I, I am not kidding about how excited I am about this film, though. Like, I fucking love the Fast and Furious films. They are all great, every single one of them. And just I just can't wait to, to watch The Rock and Jason Statham be like, I hate you, I hate you more, but I love you, man. I love you too, man. And then they're like, <laughs> all gonna fight Idris Elba. Like, come on, there is, there is absolutely, there is nothing that is wrong with this picture. The only thing that would make this movie better is if they just put Kate Blanchett in there and then it would be the best. Like, ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, I, feel like I actually think the woman, the woman who plays Princess Margaret on The Crown is in it as well. So that'll be fun. Vanessa Kirby is in this, yeah, from Mission yeah. Impossible Fallout. She was my second favorite thing about that movie next to Cavill Stash. So this might be interesting i feel though and i know it's been going around on twitter when this trailer came out but i do feel this is finally the version of the other guys if anybody's seen the other guys at the beginning of that movie when it's the rock and samuel L. jackson is like the uber cops that think they're invincible and then they jump off the roof because they think they'll hit the bushes but there are no bushes on the ground and they die i feel like it's that movie only taken seriously <laughs> Which, if it is, then maybe that'll be cool. I don't know. I will tell, full disclosure, I have seen the first Fast and the Furious, and the fifth, and the last one. So I feel like I've seen them woefully wrong, um, but I have very little interest in seeing. Remember when this franchise just started as, like, discount point break with cars? It was a heist film, and now it's just become utterly incomprehensible and i don't know how these movies keep getting greenlit well i just understand because because they're great because <laughs> people keep see them and they assume that they're great um yeah i don't know what more to say about this this comes out august 2nd and well i i i would like to jump yes. in here on this one um i this won me over I went into this with a resounding meh. I, I have you beat, Kristen. I haven't seen a Fast and the Furious film. I will shamefully admit I have not seen a single one. They won me over the first. What, the first thing you see is Idris Elba. I'm like, okay, I'm listening. Any any film that will use Idris Elba like that, I am 
all in for. And that that this movie looks like a goddamn delight. It just tongue-in-cheek enough. Jason Statham lately has been learning how to look like he's having an absolute blast doing the quality of movies he tends to get. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to check this one out. Jason Statham is basically playing the character that he plays in Spy, but for reals. Like, that's his character. Like, I am not kidding. Like, I'm so glad. I am so glad that that you're on board with this, Kim, because truly, truly, this is going to be great. Like, I'm not kidding when I say that I love the Fast and Furious films. They're all amazing. Um, I, I am the I, reason that these films keep on getting played. <laughs> You're the culprit. Yeah. I love Idris Elba, so I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. I think he'll be a great villain. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm him. sure he will be. I'm glad you guys are happy. Um, so yeah, that comes out in August, and it should be all sorts of utterly insane. Um, moving on to a movie that doesn't come out till next year, we got our first look at Birds of Prey, parentheses and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn we went from a lot of ampersands to a mouthful of a title but i feel like at least this one doesn't have a lot of weird little things that annoy me um so we got the first 20 second teaser for this it pretty much just showed costume tests (laughs) i love how we're selling costume tests as a teaser um, so you got to see all the characters that includes Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead playing Huntress, you got Ewan McGregor in there, Journey Smollett-Bell plays Black Canary, Rosie Perez, um, I mean, it's a costume test, so, I mean, it was, it was nice to see what everybody was gonna look like, um, I'm definitely interested in this, far more so than anything DC's done since, um, Wonder Woman, this is directed by Kathy Yon, written by Christina Hodson, and it looks like a lot of fun. There was a great meme that was going on on social media about how you can tell the female gaze and the male gaze um, from both this and Suicide Squad and how Harley Quinn is filmed. And she's wearing even less clothes in this movie, but it doesn't feel scummy and exploitative. Um, and the rest of the cast looks looks really great. I'm excited to see the ladies and... I'm fairly confident that Ewan McGregor is just aging in reverse and or has completely stopped because I was just sitting there looking at like the 30 seconds that you see him on screen. I was just like, so it's 1997 all over again because you look exactly the same, good sir. I'm down. Score for you. Um, I'm not understanding every woman's lust for Chris Messina with that blonde platinum hair. I, I don't get that at all, but... Um, I'm excited for this one. This one seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope, even if it's stupid fun, I will be excited because DC needs needs something. Um, and this comes out February February seventh, twenty twenty. So, what do you guys think of the tr- uh, teaser? I think that can barely be called a teaser. I act- I was it's a really surprised. It, it is. It's. I think they need to probably start trying to win over the DC fanboys early. We know what a bright, shining, upstanding version of masculinity they can be. So they're probably facing an uphill marketing battle. Um, I, 
immediately I looked at it. I was like, okay, so this is, once again, we see this is what we can do with a female director. Because, I mean, I retweeted that meme. I, you know, it didn't look scummy. It actually looked, I was quite pleased with how those costume tests looked and how it came out. Um, I'm really, I, on the fence in general about DC right now. So that, you know, eh, so, but this is probably next to Wonder Woman, the other franchise where it's like, okay, I can, I'm interested. We'll see where it goes. And I'm always down for Ewan McGregor. That's a longstanding love affair of mine. So it can keep going. Ewan McGregor was probably the most memorable nude scene I've ever seen in my young teenage life. Velvet Goldmine. Velvet Goldmine, <laughs> yep. I, I decided, oh, really? It's a movie with Luke Gregor and Christian Bale and set in the... So same. <laughs> I was 15, okay? I was not prepared. <sighs> so thank you, you McGregor. <laughs> Lauren, what did you think of the trailer? Yeah, I, I'm I'm think I'm pretty much where you guys are. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's not particularly a trailer, but it did remind me that the film exists and is being written and directed by women, which I am happy about. And uh, I do, I really like Harley Quinn. I've always liked her as a character. Um, she She's one of the, the characters that I always loved on the old, like Batman animated series that was on on uh, like Saturday mornings uh, when I was a kid. And I, I enjoy her. And so it's nice. And I like Margot Robbie. So it's, it's nice to see, like, I, I think it will be nice to see what a female director does with those characters. Um, and does with her specifically. So I'm I'm down for it. Like I will be interested when we actually get a real trailer trailer. Uh, but I I'm fully fully in support of this. DC has been making some weird but also successful choices. So you got I mean even though whether or not you liked it, you've got the James Wan Aquaman, Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman, and now this. Uh, and so I will be. I'll be interested. Now I just want to watch Moulin Rouge. I feel that the trailer did not achieve what it should have, I, or I took the wrong thing from it. Either way. Oh, <laughs> it's just maybe nostalgia. <laughs> oh, good time. Um, anywho, moving on to uh, reviews. So we wanted to talk about some movies, and we're going to do this out of order. So, Kim, you're going to go first because you saw the Peter Jackson world. They, they yes, they shall not grow old. Yeah, um, that doesn't sound sexy. So <laughs> it's a World War One documentary. It really shouldn't okay. be sexy. <laughs> so, uh, what, what do you think about it? Feel free to to share your thoughts on it. It was gorgeous. I I am not a huge documentary watcher. I kind of hang my head and say that it's I've just never have quite gotten in there this one fascinated me since i saw the trailer and i've had some really glowing recommendations from people who have caught it and it was absolutely stunning um trust peter jackson with few exceptions of course cough hobbit films cough cough to make stunning beautiful innovative you know cinematic choices he gives world war one the treatment that it desperately needs in this documentary our country in particular is very guilty of forgetting about that conflict um our world war one memorial in washington dc shows that it's tucked into a corner and is poorly maintained and basically covered in moss and so many men gave their lives so many people gave their lives in a conflict that was 
bloody and horrible and some of the worst warfare we've you know seen in the last century and yet we never talk about it and with this documentary jackson manages to trans it kind of he gets rid of the separation because it was what 100 years ago at this point and if you've seen the trailer it is he colorizes he he colorizes the footage makes it 3d and kind of adjust the speed which so you're what the entire film is you're watching world war one era footage of the fighting of the trenches of no man's land all of that this is stuff we've seen in classes seen on projectors but it always it feels like a silent film it feels so long ago feels so you know there's this huge separation between us and our world of 3d film and these clips that we we're watching but in these stylistic choices that he makes and that he's able to pull off with surprising effectiveness it sucks you right in i know as i was sitting there watching it i had to keep reminding myself that this was old film because it felt like to me like it you know it felt like you were watching recreations and it gives you the reminders that these were actual men you can see the little quirk the, you can see the little facial expressions you can see the you know the guys poking each other things that you don't see in other film that you don't really notice when you're watching the more sped up grainy black and white clips and it suddenly reminds you of the humanity of the period and then he also makes a very interesting choice to use com the entire thing is comprised of interviews from world war 1 veterans during the, I think he says the 1960s and 1970s. So they're still fairly young at that point. They're in their 60s and maybe 70s. And once again, it the choice serves to grow the humanity. It takes away the separation of the time. And it does an incredible job at just laying out exactly what World War One is and reminds us why we need to remember that conflict. And we need to just we those those veterans are forgotten about in my mind and they're pretty much i think they're all gone now but it's truly it was a tragedy and i do have to say i know i went off on this on twitter to the critic who came out behind me and went that's that was heavy man oh i hate men <laughs> but it was a stunning stunning film and i think more people need to be talking about it it's uh expanded is it or it's it's still making a surprising amount of money i want to say it is i mean it's been going strong over in europe but they you know they actually remember world war one it sounds like it's making a very slow expansion but it is starting to grow over here so i'm i'm hoping for good things i think this film needs to be getting talked about more stylistically I, mean, I was really skeptical when I heard about the colorization. I've watched the colorized Bewitched. I know how bad those can look. And while I don't think the 3D was absolutely needed, I think it hurt it in some places. It looks stunning. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you got to talk about it because it was not something on my radar. So I'll have to. Yeah, I'm really excited to see it. I'm really excited to see it now. Like, I. I... Uh, you you saying that it's so good like definitely inspires me like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go try and see it this weekend maybe i think you would have an appreciation for it lauren i really do lauren appreciates the finer things in life um, <laughs> or, or not so okay, um, lauren, lauren we're I, I know exactly where we're gonna go with this so why don't you talk about the final girls festival briefly and then we'll get to the latter two reviews 
Okay, all right. So the the Final Girls uh, Festival in Berlin right now is is going on, and usually usually they do a couple of feature films, which they are this year, and they're actually showing one of my favorite um, films that I saw at Fantasia last year, which is Tigers Are Not Afraid, directed by Issa Lopez. I reviewed it on the Citizen Dame website. Um, it's a fantastic film, and uh, like this is this is Guillermo del Toro's early work, basically, and but told from a feminine perspective, it's it's really well done, um, and I'm glad that it's it's continuing to get festival play, and hopefully we'll actually get an American release at some point. Um, but generally, they show shorts and they show blocks of shorts, and so I just want to give a shout out to at least a couple of the shorts that I have seen. Uh, Devil Woman, which is an Australian film about a female environmentalist who gets bitten by a rabid Tasmanian devil and ter- basically turns into a were-devil. That's pretty awesome. Like, she just goes on a rampage. Um, the Old Woman Who Hid Her Fear Under the Stairs, which actually feels like a, uh, it, it feels like a short story that should be a novel and i would love to see it made into a feature film uh, it's about an old woman who uh is so terrified of the world around her that she um she goes online and finds a self-help guru to figure out how to to eliminate her fear and she puts her fear under the stairs um let's see asian women which is a <laughs> Uh, sort of a surrealist take on um, on Asian cinema and the representation of Asian women in cinema. It's a very short film, but it was really just very interesting. Like, I liked it, but I'm not entirely certain why. Uh, and my personal favorite, because I always have a personal favorite at these things, is All Men Must Die, which is about two girls going out one of it's one of their birthdays and they have to deal with the creeper at the bar who's like the titular nice guy and uh and then things happen so i i greatly enjoy this festival it's always nice to get to see some of these shorter films many of which really are are excellent just as shorts but could also be developed into feature films and i would actually love to see that and it's wonderful to see female directors um uh, dealing with horror and producing a different kind of horror because you actually get to see these kinds of things from a feminine perspective and um, female relationships and the things that women are frightened of and the way that we deal with our fears. And so I, I always recommend that people, if you get to see any of the shorts that come out of these festivals, go for it because they're really, really interesting. Awesome. So Lauren finally saw Serenity this week. <sighs> was I right? You, you were so right. Oh my god! Yeah, I get to, I get to be right once every five years, and <laughs> that happened. So yay, yay. Um. So what, what did you think about it? I tried to be as spoiler free as I could when I did my my initial review. So, um, was it the snowman of twenty nineteen? I I think that it was, but you know, I think you were right. I, I believe you said that um that it's it's. Where the snowman, the snowman is missing twenty minutes. Basically, this film has all of its stuff. It's just insane, and doesn't make any sense. And I does loved it, every minute of it. Does it not make sense? I think it makes plenty of sense. <laughs> it, it like no, I mean, I, I was sitting there going like, but I, it raises so many questions. <laughs> so many questions, particularly when you get to the twist, which you kind of see coming 
but also doesn't work. So you're like, but that doesn't make sense. So how can that be the twist? And then you don't get anything more beyond that. Like, it was just, it was fantastic. Like, you get to see Matthew McConaughey's butt. Um, there's a gigantic tuna. Anne Hathaway is in a completely different film. Um, Diane Lane is, a, is in a completely different film. Um, Diane Lane is in her house for the entire film. <laughs> she doesn't leave her house. So I don't really know if it's a different film if you are only stuck in one location. <laughs> Uh, I love. I loved the like nearing the end, in the third act. The, the, Matthew McConaughey like actually begins to go like, "What's happening? What's going on?" And he's just like, "Same man, same." Like, do you know? Like, he's literally saying, "I don't understand what's going on." You're just like, "Neither do we. We're we're on the same wavelength, dude." <laughs> this movie uh, my- is utterly broke. Like. They had me when he was fishing for a tuna named Justice. And that's not a sexual yeah. metaphor, but it is a sexual metaphor. <laughs> at my roommate at one point, and this is not really a spoiler because it happens about 15 minutes into the film, but my roommate at one point leaned over to me and was like, did, did the gigantic tuna murder his son? <laughs> and I was like... You know, I think it did. Like, we were both like, the gigantic tuna murdered his son. Uh, this is not a spoiler. I'm telling you this right now. But that that was the level that we were at with this, with this film. Like, by the end of the film, my roommate was applauding and I was hyperventilating. So <laughs> that that is the quality. Like, it really is just bad shit. Like, it, it's, it's fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. It was It is so horrible. entertainingly terrible. Like, <laughs> I called it the winter's tale of this year. And I, I'm just so into the... I want an oral history of this movie. I think I said this in the last episode. I want an oral history of how this movie got made because it is utterly utterly insanely brilliant i mean the tuna for named justice the twist honestly i think just anne hathaway being awesome the fact that jason clark is got his chappaquiddick accent but he's dressed like he's tony monero in saturday night fever (laughs) i am down i am still down for this um kim have we convinced you at all to go see it? Uh, I, uh, I don't know. Kim, I think Do we it. literally just made the sound that Stephen Knight made when he hit his head and then woke up. And then we <laughs> This doesn't sound like a fun viewing for me. It's it so really great. doesn't. It- I, I, I didn't under. The snowman really missed me. It missed me completely. No, I did not. Okay, Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Okay. Remember how I reviewed Aquaman. When Tim comes down in April for TCM, the day before, I'm going to make you watch Serenity. (laughs) I will find a way to either get it on DVD if it's not out, if it's out by that point or something. But we will. I will, if it is in a situation like that, I might. I maintain, and I think Lauren would agree with me, Get you You got to watch it with friends. Friends don't let friends watch Serenity alone. Well, exactly. I would be going by myself, so I don't see myself enjoying it and how I would be going. Oh, it's, 
It's so great. It's like one of those Lincoln commercials. If this movie ended with the Lincoln logo, it would have made so much sense. I am all in favor of mystery science theatering a movie, but you have to be with a crowd that will take that. Lauren, I will say, you brought up Matthew McConaughey's ass, which is chronically out in this movie. He is so desperate to show someone his, his junk. And I felt really pissed because, and we'll talk about it with another movie that's coming up. The movie, I literally thought at a certain point, Matthew McConaughey didn't have a dick because there are moments where it should be in the camera's lens. Like it should be there. Like there's a scene where he jumps into the ocean and he is facing the camera, dick, like supposedly dick out. And it's just nothing is there. There's nothing there. And I was just sitting there thinking, did they CGI it out? Or is this a world, I mean, I guess maybe it would make sense. This is a world like in The Sims where they don't have bits. They, I don't know what was happening, but Matthew McConaughey should have, I mean, the dick should have been there. Like it should have been there. Yeah, I yeah. I wanted to see it, but it should have been there. We need we need to free the McConaughey. Like it really, <laughs> it wants to be seen. <laughs> and, and let me say, in as kind a way as I can, you do see stuff, like there's a lot of movement, okay? And, <laughs> and the backside of things that you don't really need to see. So, I mean, just, just show it, just show it, okay? Uh, but yeah, if, just if I, embrace it, give it its freedom. If I thought that Zazzle wouldn't ping us for an R-rated button, I would totally do Lawrence McConaughey. <laughs> I, mean, I would, I would. Once again, we're on the same page. I was just going to say that exact same Maybe thing. Maybe I would. I'm going to look into that. I will look into that. Um, and then we also, Lauren and I also watched Velvet Buzzsaw the other day. Um, Karen oh saw it as well. Um, she is not here. But I will tell you, Karen did really enjoy it. Um, I am on the middle of the spectrum in that I thought it was perfectly okay. I'm not big on Dan Gilroy in general. Uh, I saw Nightcrawler, again, perfectly serviceable, but I have no interest in seeing it again. Um, this is the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal where he plays an art critic, um, and there is a mysterious artist whose work is left behind that is presumably murderous. Um, and all of that sounds really interesting on paper. Uh, but I feel like, and you can read my full review on the citizendamepod.com website, um, I feel like Dan Gilroy made a movie that says, see, critics, this is why you don't make fun of an author's work, because we literally put our life's blood and our soul into it. Um, and so if you don't like it, that's kind of his point. Like, I feel like he's made a movie, and I think, Lauren, you called it Critic Proof, where he's just like, if you don't like it, his whole thing is like looking down his nose and being like, see, see, you totally are proving the point, that you don't get it. You know, if you like it, then you get it. If you don't like it, well, then you're proving the point that it's it's not a movie that should be got. You know, it's just, I didn't, I, if people are calling this movie darkly funny, and I see the satire. I see where people would say that, but I didn't find it as such. I found it to be pretentious, and just really assuming that people are, like, art critics are stupid. Like, okay, I get that. Um, but at the same time, it's a movie that has so little momentum the first 20 minutes of this i was outright bored because you're dropped 
in the middle of a conversation where people are almost speaking like a foreign language. You don't know who characters are. You don't know what's going on. But the whole point, point in quotes, is like, oh, you know, these art critics, they just, they talk in a foreign language. You know, it's just, it's weird. They talk in gibberish. You don't, you're not supposed to understand. Um, and I feel like if any other director did that, we'd be complaining about it. Um, I, I will say when the horror happens, like when the blood and the grew start start being spilled, like I was into it because stuff was happening. Um, and at the end of the movie, I got the point it's trying to make and I just really felt nothing for it. Um, the cast I, I like, Jake Gyllenhaal, I was a little concerned that he's playing like this effete, fey, quasi-gay type of critic um, that does not, doesn't seem to know what he's into sexually. Um, like he likes women, but he also likes men. And I was like, okay, so gender fluid, like that's cool. But I felt like it felt like a gimmick. Um, this movie has so much bullshit nudity that I was like not feeling it. Like show, show nudity or don't show nudity, but don't, I don't like Austin Powers nudity where it's like melons in front of boobs. Like I don't, I don't want to see the world's biggest laptop on Jake Gyllenhaal's junk. A, that's definitely making him sterile. And B, like, really? Oh, because you can't show, it's Netflix, like you can. Um, David Diggs I thought was criminally wasted. Like how dare you just use David Diggs for like two scenes and then tell him to go home. Um, so I was, I was just kind of dull on this. I didn't really care for it. Um, but, but Lauren, I know you feel very strongly about this. Um, so cleanse yourself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, some of what I feel very strongly about, I think that you, you just expressed really well. Um, I, I will preface this by saying that prior to watching this film, I had spent about two hours during the day reading, um, film theory about horror. So I was very much into like, oh, I, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I love, right? And I love that kind of film criticism. I love film theory. Um, I love investigating artistic works and actually reading into them and, and finding meaning in them and things like that. And I think that this film, I, I said it on Twitter, I think that Gilroy either has never read any arts theory or criticism or has read it and has failed so completely to understand it that he's just angry about it. And so he decides that like, oh, this is just gibberish, which it's not. Uh, now, what the characters say in his film is largely gibberish. It's largely pretentious. And the reason for that is that you've got someone writing it who obviously doesn't like critics, who obviously doesn't like analytic approach to art in any sense, <clears throat> and doesn't, and is basically like, well, uh, this is, it feels in, in a certain sense like he's expressing a fantasy of just murdering people. Um, that disapprove of his art or that disapprove of any art and that use art as a commodity. Cause that's the other element of the film that kind of gets going is that the, this art is being sold, it's being used, it's being marketed. Um, and that that's part of the crimes that these people have essentially committed against the artist as it were. Uh, and, and, and the art gets its vengeance as, uh, it, and that's essentially the way that the film is constructed. Which fine, and I totally get that. I totally get the criticism of commodification of art. At the same time, this is a fucking film that was released on Netflix. Um, if you're gonna bitch about commodification of art, 
and how art needs to stand on its own and it shouldn't be criticized and it should only, it should be appreciated or it even shouldn't be seen at all. Don't release a fucking film on a major streaming platform. Uh, and that was one of the things that drove me crazy about it is that it was this, this anti-intellectualism that was going on throughout the entire structure of the film. And at the same time, the film was completely incoherent about what it was even doing. Like, is it a critique? Is it not a critique? Is it just a presentation of, of an artistic um, concept? Is it a horror film? This The horror didn't exist. The horror was like, the horror had no rules to it. It had no structure to it. And so as I was watching, I was just like, well, I don't, I don't really care. Like I, I know what's coming, but I don't completely understand why it's happening because the film doesn't want to establish any of those rules. I don't know. Maybe a thought that, that establishing rules was too critically suspect or something like that. Um, but because it didn't establish any rules, it wasn't scary. Like I was sitting there going like, look, I love horror. I love art. I love art films. I love film. None of this lands. So I, I completely got what the film was doing. It was just doing it really, really badly. Um, I, I, I don't understand any of the praise that is being that is being layered on this film. I had a bit of a bad reaction to it last night. I want I want to apologize if I said anything that was like too much. Uh, I it just it really made me mad, and uh, I will probably mull over it for another day or two and then then forget about it. This this is not this is not a film that deserves any kind of attention really. Uh, so hello everybody. Uh, due to some technical difficulties that had to do with uh, Kristen's power suddenly going out, we are going to quickly close up this episode. I think that we had all the things that we were going to say, so hopefully this won't be a problem. Um, as usual, you can get in touch with us on a Citizen Day on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. We have an email address if you want to get in touch with us that way. Um, I don't think a lot of people do, but we, we do check it every once in a while. That's citizendamepod at gmail.com. Of course, you can read all of our things on our website. We've got reviews. We've got weekly columns. Kim does her Feminist Fridays. I do Damestruck. Uh, Karen, uh, Kristen's review of Velvet Buzzsaw is up there also. And that's our website at uh, citizendamepod.com. Also, if you want to buy some of our stuff, we would love for you to buy some stuff. We actually do make a little bit of money off of it, which is always nice for us. And it keeps us up and running and keeping the website running and keeping the Podbean account running. Um, that's Patreon or that's um, our Zazzle store at uh, Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. We also have Patreon which uh, you can use to support us and you also get some fun stuff. So go on to there and check it out. That's patreon.com slash citizen dame. Is there anything else that we wanted to push? Uh, that, I mean, you went through all of the big ones. I mean, you can catch up with all of us on our individual Twitter accounts. Uh, you can find Kristen at journeys or journeys underscore film. Karen as is at Karen M. Peterson. I am at KPier624. And Lauren, you are at LH Business, yes, correct? Yes, indeed. So that should be it. And we will see you next week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Bye. Bye. They're out here. I like to say, 
Everybody knows everything. What if the truth was nobody knows anything? I got a feeling today is the day. Today is the day.